Every September, families throughout Delaware prepare to send their children back to school. But this year, those families are facing unimaginable challenges as they struggle to determine the best way to ensure their kids will receive a quality education in this unprecedented circumstance. Following Governor Carney's announcement that schools were permitted to reopen using a hybrid approach with a mix of online and in-person instruction, school districts throughout Delaware were tasked with creating their own reopening plans. Students have slowly started transitioning back to in-person, hybrid, or remote learning, but most school districts are placing a large emphasis on technology. I spoke to House Education Committee members, Representative Kim Williams and Representative Melissa Minor-Brown, as well as Delaware State Education Association Vice President Carrie Stahl about their views on educational advocacy and returning to school in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. Now we'll hear from Representative Melissa Minor-Brown. Representative Minor-Brown is a woman of many talents. Besides her duties as a legislator, she sits on the House Education Committee. She's also a nurse and a mother to two children. Representative Minor-Brown, I wanted to ask you about education equity. I know this is a big platform of yours, so I was hoping that you'd be able to give us a little bit of background. Okay, so educational equity, to me, it means that every child um, has the ability to receive um, the level of education and the resources that they need and deserve, no matter the circumstance, no matter if you live in Claymont or in Harrington, um, no matter which community you live in, whether you're in a more thriving community or a community that um, may have been more um, disenfranchised or still trying to get that community stable, that child should still um, have the educational experience that they should have. And it should Absolutely. be this. Definitely. And I know that a lot of school districts throughout Delaware, they were given the choice to craft their own reopening plan within the hybrid scenario limitations. Do you see this becoming an issue for the kids that you just spoke about? Do you see this as an issue for education equality? Well, it, it is an issue. Let me first say I'm, I'm totally not disregarding COVID-19 and I understand reason for the homeschooling, the, the virtual learning right now. But if we're going to do virtual learning, we have to make sure that the children have the resources that they need. I'm hearing stories about children not having laptops or one laptop with a multi-child household. Where that's pretty impossible. You can't have three children and only provided one laptop because only one child will be able to learn during the school day. And these kids are given full school days. My son's day starts at 8.45 and ends at 3.15. So that's only one child that's going to be able to use that laptop. So two children are going to be missing out. You know, we have to find a way to resolve that. I don't think that, I, well, I'll, let's just say this. I think it's unacceptable that every child does not have the resources and the supplies that they need to get onto virtual, the virtual learning platform. I also see it as an issue because look at the, the socialization. You know, our children are not able to socialize with their friends like they normally would. It's hard to look at a screen and learn. My son is saying all day, oh, I'm bored, I'm tired. I wanna get up, I want some water, I wanna use the bathroom. And it's because it's hard. In the classroom, you have so many visual aids around you. You're, you're, the teacher walks around the room, you know, especially for first graders. You know, you have um, different stations where you're learning, but you're playing and it's more hands-on, whereas now you're sitting in front of a computer 
something that most parents did not want for their children, for their children to be so attached to technology. Screen time's off the charts right now. Screen time. (laughs) And I'm one of those parents. You know, I actually had a time frame for when he could watch TV or use a tablet. And now it's like eight hours a day. You're in front of a computer. And on the other end, you have a daughter who's in high school. Can you talk about the challenges facing older children as they're trying to complete their school? It's interesting. Let's just say it's interesting. So, Okay, she's 18 and she's a senior. The hardest part for her is getting up, getting on the computer and staying focused. You know, she, she's doing it because she has a parent who is here to be able to guide her through this and kind of monitor the situation. But she also has friends who are like, oh, I'm going to get a job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work. I'm not going to sit on the computer and, and do class, you know, right. so... You know, those, unfortunately, our seniors are at a disadvantage as well. They're going to definitely, they're going to learn a lot through this experience. And hopefully it it puts them ahead, you know, and it gives them the ability to to adjust to certain situations when they don't have have a choice but to. Yeah, it's definitely an adjustment period for everybody. And you're a healthcare professional. You're a legislator. I'm sure you got your hand in much more pots. How do you, as a working parent, make it work? And how do you think other parents, other working parents can make it work? So the first thing I want to say is that it is complicated. I'm not going to pretend like it's not because it is, but any parent who's, who's working through this needs to go ahead and put that S on their chest because it's, it's rough. And, you know, just having your own routine, whether you're working from home, maintaining a household, and then schooling at the same time, remembering that there's there's meal periods in between. You're still trying to get laundry done and whatever else is going on throughout the day and working. And with young children, you can't just not over, oversee what's going on. You you have you have to um, you have to be involved. There, so many times my son is like, they told me to come get a parent. And I'm like, gosh, I'm in a meeting. But um, <laughs> but um it, it it gets a little rough, but I just try to tell parents to just, you know, look at it, try to see the glasses being half full. You know, the world is thrown into disarray with COVID-19. You know, parents are worried about their children bringing COVID-19 back home. And then when it comes to the the everyday routine, it's not going to be a perfect day every day. You know, you're going to have hiccups. It's going to be rough. So make sure you have someone that you can vent to, someone that you can call, like the support person that you can call and just vent to them or just you know, just talk about how your day was. Um, maybe look to them for advice because it takes a huge toll on your mental health and it affects me the same way. You know, I get overwhelmed at times because I have to teach a first grader and I have to work and I have to be a legislator and I have to t- help with this 18 year old. So um, sometimes I just take a walk around the block. I'm like, oh, it's lunchtime. Have the 18 year old watch, <laughs> watch the six year old. I'm going to take a walk because I need some fresh air. Something that will help you just be able to tune back into that mindfulness just to keep yourself afloat. But understand that it's not going to be perfect. We're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. And we're going to have days that are just in complete disarray from the moment we wake up. And that's okay because we're still doing it. And one more thing I just want to mention, you know, if, if parents get to the point where they just, you know, they're feeling so overwhelmed and they need someone to talk to, we do have a hope line, the Delaware hope line call that number. It's, it's available 24-7. It's free. And there's always someone on the other line to answer your call, even if you need to talk. Let me get the number really quick. 
It is 1-833-9-HOPE-DE. So that's 833-946-7333. And like I said, it's 24 hours a day. And you can get on there and you can say, listen, I need to speak to someone who's going to understand this issue. And they will find someone that is able to relate to what you are going through. So it's so important to be able to vent to someone so that you can stay healthy for your children now. Joining me now, we have Representative Williams. Representative Kim Williams is the vice chair of the House Education Committee and has been a tireless advocate for education-related issues for many years now. Representative Williams, I wanted to kick off this conversation by asking, what draws you to education? What made you decide to go into education advocacy? I became really involved in education, of course, when my um, my two children started school. When my daughter, Casey, uh, was a kindergarten in kindergarten at Forest Oak Elementary School. I ended up becoming homeroom mom. I uh, volunteered for the host program, which was a mentoring program. I was PTA treasurer for a year, and then I became I was a four-term PTA president um, at Forest Oak. And then when my kids went to middle school at Conrad Schools of Science, I became active in their PTO and was vice president. I found that a parent's voice is very strong and powerful and that we needed to uh, band together to make sure that our voices were heard. I would go to school board meetings and speak out on the school board giving cafeteria workers five cent raises and they were going to cut the library program and I went to the school board meeting to speak out about that. I ended up writing a blog with another um, parent at Forest Oak called Red Clay Now. And we had a lot of educators and parents and community members uh, on there talking about different issues, good and bad. And so I learned a lot through that. I also then ran for a seat on the Red Clay School Board and I served for over three years, one as vice president, and then I became, uh, I ran for a seat for the house and was elected. So I've had a a good journey uh, when I was on the school board And being in the PTA and PTOs, I was very involved in the schools, talking to custodians, cafeteria workers, parents, community members, educators, support staff, listening to their concerns and the things that we were doing well. And then as a school board member, I visited Red Clay schools, talked to admin and, you know, uh, community members and parents as well. So I, I feel like I've had a journey of throughout my kids' educational experience of you know, what is going on in Delaware and the educational issues and needs and you know, the good things that we're doing. So you've had a lot of interaction with administration, with educators, with students. How is this education season different and how can we support kids that need the extra help? How can we guarantee equity in this back to school season where everyone's day looks a little bit different? Well, that's a tough question because um, we're in, in the middle of a health crisis uh, and something that we've never gone through. I think we need to think outside the box. I think the kids need to the kids need to get back into school. And I, I think everyone agrees with that. And but we have to do it with precautions in place and think of everyone's safety. I think the only way we're gonna do that is making sure everyone is tested, you know, educators, staff, students, and that we're transparent. Uh, letting families know if there are COVID cases. I think the more confidence people have in our schools, the more likely people will be more comfortable sending their, their children back to school. But 
it is it is really challenging during these times to make sure that all the you know children receive their resources, especially students who have IEPs, 504 plans. So I'm actually going to meet with a small group of community members to discuss uh, equity issues with uh, the students with disabilities to see if we can come up with some ideas or listening to people who are doing it right or collaborate and see what we can do to make sure that these children are receiving their, their services. It's kind of hard to do OTPT uh, through Zoom. Uh, so, you know, in-person mm -hmm. meetings are really important at this time. And you also have been an advocate for child safety. You recently were nominated for an Emmy. Your PSA was nominated for an Emmy. Do you want to talk about that PSA and kind of talk about the legislation that went along with that? Sure. So it was originally House Bill 111, which was uh, a program uh, to have bus arm cameras uh, on buses. It wasn't going to be mandated. It was, you know, you could, it was optional for school districts and charters. But um, after meeting with stakeholders, we decided that we would just um, do a pilot program first just to get all the bugs out of it. So um, we ended up reintroducing another bill, House Bill 202. And so Rec Clay would be piloting the program. And it's really not too much different than uh, the original bill. So House Bill 111 would uh, allow school districts and charters to utilize external camera systems on the school buses to catch motorists that illegally pass school buses. And, and we would punish them by issuing, them, uh, issuing a civil penalty. So instead of doing it statewide right now, Rec Clay would be the ones who going to um, do this. So Red Clay would have to produce a public service announcement each year. And like you said, uh, we did, uh, we did uh, uh, tape a public service announcement and it was uh, nominated for an M Emmy. So we are very excited about that. Uh, Red Clay was actually nominated for three Emmys this year. They won an Emmy last year. So, and the bill is named after Laura, who is in the public service an announcement. Uh, and she was on her way to going onto a school bus when the car uh, hit the bus and you can see what happens to her. Luckily, she was not injured, but it was still terrifying for all involved. Um, Especially as a parent. Oh, definitely. And, and this program, like I said, is not going to be required, but we're hoping that uh, districts and charters will, once uh, Rec Clay runs the pilot, we hope to do this statewide. And we're hoping the fines from the penalties from people running the bus arm, hopefully it we're, our goal is not to have anybody, but we know that's not going to happen. But any, we're hoping the fines from this will help pay for the cameras and other things that um, districts and charters will need uh, for equipment and stuff. So um, currently, like I said, Red Clay is the only district that is using external ca cameras. Um, they have been using external cameras for about a year now. There's about 500,000 school buses take about 25 million students to and from school daily. At the end of October, I don't know if you remember, um, there was news reporting on car crashes with bus stops, which claimed the lives of uh, several children, which is so heartbreaking because this is something that does not need to happen. And it's just people being impatient or not paying attention or just don't think they have to abide by the law. So um, Delaware Public School bus drivers uh, conducted a one-day uh, 
state illegal passing survey of how many vehicles illegally passed Delaware school buses while they were loading and unloading students with their overhead red lights flashing. And it was like 1,000, like a little over 1,100 Delaware school buses participated and about 572 wow. illegal passes were noted just in one day. I'm sure this legislation came about because you were having conversation with parents and I'm sure some of them had raised this issue. How do you think the role of parents is going to evolve in this school year? I mean, we're seeing a lot of kids digital, all digital, or in a hybrid setting. Parents are going to really have to step up and fill that gap. Yeah, I mean, parents are already there stepping up. Um, but it's it's hard on parents if they have to work, if they're working remotely, or if they have to leave their house um, you know, they have to find someone who will be able to watch their children, make sure that their children are participating in the virtual learning. It's very stressful for educators, for the families, for the children. You know, mental health is on the crisis is on the rise with with all this stress for everyone. So um, I know everyone's trying to do their best, but it is really it's really challenging times for everyone. It is. Well, hopefully we see a resolution to these problems in the near future. To wrap up this conversation, I am joined by Carrie Stahl. Carrie is the current vice president of the Delaware State Education Association. She's also been an educator for many years. She currently teaches English at Milford High School. Carrie, what inspired you to become an educator and how did you become involved in the Delaware State Education Association? So I've always been interested in helping other people. Um, in high school, I was actually super into theater. I was a student director, and I had these two amazing teachers that allowed me to um, direct as a senior um, a whole play practically by myself. And I wanted to do that in college, and I went to a school that I thought would be great for that. Uh, it was a liberal arts college, so I took the first year to kind of take you know, entry-level classes, see what I liked, uh, talk to my parents about it a lot. And I was like, I really like English. I've always wanted to be kind of, you know, leading and working with people. Um, so I became a teacher. Um, and my first job was in North Carolina. And North Carolina is a right to work state. Uh, so your contract literally says all duties as assigned by the principal. And Thanks. whatever they tell you to do, you basically do it or they can fire you for no reason whatsoever. It was tough. Um, and I would call my mom, who was a teacher in Delaware, and say, like, they're making us come in on snow days, but there's no um, reimbursement for the hours. So we had to make we had to make up the days that the kids were working, mm -hmm. plus work the snow day. And I was like, we're working more days than we're getting paid for. It doesn't make any sense. And she said, you need to talk to your union. And I was like, I mean, I belong to it, but they don't really do anything. Um, and then my mom... Uh, passed away and my dad asked us to move back here. And as soon as we moved, we joined the union. And then I just sort of fell in. Uh, the first thing I did was, uh, was a secretary. And then uh, the person who was president at the time unexpectedly got a new job and the vice president didn't want to be president. So I got it. Discovered that I really loved it. And not only did I love it, but it was fairly good at it too. And it just has blossomed from there. And now you're currently the, the vice president for the SEA. 
So you've been really busy in this past year. Can you tell me a little bit what it's like to be on the board of the Teachers Union and also an educator in COVID-19? What are your kind of stories are you hearing? What's it like? Um, I think that people don't realize how overwhelmed educators are. Um, and I, because of my role in a state position, I hear it from teachers all over the state. Um, they want to be with their kids. They want to be normal, but they also know that even if kids are in our classrooms, it can't look normal. And that would almost be harder. Um, for instance, uh, what does a kindergartner teacher do when a kid's shoe is untied? When he can't wipe his nose or when she gets chocolate all over her face from her lunch. Um, those are things that instinctively happen in an elementary school classroom. But right now, to keep kids safe and to keep adults safe, they can't happen. So people are trying to figure out how to do their job in the best way that they can. And it's very overwhelming. And then it becomes almost impossible when you read some of the comments that people post. Absolutely. Online, right? <laughs> You have these Facebook warriors that um, see one side. And I know as a parent, I have two little kids at home. They had their first day at school today and neither parent was there. We had to hire someone to come into our house to make sure that they, and that's my privilege, right? That I can mm -hmm. hire somebody to do that. Um, but it's hard, it's hard all around. And we have to have compassion and empathy for one another. Definitely. I think over the last few months, the view of teachers has definitely evolved. I know it's a topic that people feel strongly about on either way. How have you seen the view of teachers kind of evolve over the last few months? Um, I think that as we've gone through this process, you, we just learn more and more and more, right? When we first went into remote learning, it was a temporary fix to a temporary problem. We were told it'd be two weeks. Um, then we'd be back in our classrooms and everything would be fine. We know now, of course, that that's not the right. case. Um, so your mindset has to keep changing. Um, you know, we did a lot of emergency instruction last year. Um, and now we have to get back to the roots of good instruction and figuring out how to do that in a remote setting. Um, I had my first day with students today and... Some of them I can't or won't turn their cameras on and it's hard to get to know a kid um, when their Wi-Fi access, for example, doesn't allow them to run the video. Um, right. So it's, we all are having to adjust and figure out the best way to um, be instructional advocates and be instructional superheroes in our classroom in ways we've never even been trained to do. And you're, I know, a big proponent of the school wellness centers and making sure that children of all ages are addressing their emotional well-being. How do you see that kind of adopting or changing to fit this remote platform? Do you think that those kids are still going to get the services that they need? I do, um, because educators are superheroes. Um, but it is more important now that House Bill 101 passes. Um, it's you know, had to take a back seat a little bit as we get through um, the current economic times. But that bill is important and it's and it remains important every single day that we go without services, enough services for kids. But that being said, educators have for many years worn many, many hats and they'll continue to do so in this time because that's what we have to do. Do you have any closing thoughts? 
I just uh, want to thank all the educators out there that are doing an awesome job. Reach out if you need anything for us. I want to thank the legislators and senators who have done an amazing job supporting educators. It's really important that we continue having a um, supportive community around us. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at DE House Dems, on Twitter at DE House Dems, and on Instagram at DE House Dems. Make sure to subscribe because we'll be coming out with new episodes shortly.